Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, have you ever read a book where you just start having an epiphany about a topic you thought that you understood? Well, that's what happened to me when I read Keith Ferrazzi's book, Never Eat Lunch Alone. And after reading it, I invited Keith to join me on the show. And this was, I think we recorded a couple years ago. And we talked about Keith's formula for success in life, which is success in life equals the people you meet plus what you create together. When you think about it, it's so simple and so smart. I mean, it's a sweet and direct rebuttal to what seems to be the growing chorus of misinformed, quote unquote, sales experts who want you to believe that relationships aren't important in sales. And most importantly, we talk about the misperceptions sellers labor under understanding why and how relationship building is done. We also get to a really interesting discussion of the difference between networking and connecting. And here's a hint. You want to be a connector. All this and much, much more. Before we get to Keith Ferrazzi, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. Let's jump into it. I open with a standard question that uh, I ask all my guests is, in your opinion, what, what's the single biggest challenge facing salespeople today? Hmm. Um. Well, I mean, I could go into all the macro kind of answers around, you know, speed of product acceleration and the uh, uh, the complexity of the sale and all of that. Kind of <laughs> yeah, stuff, don't, right? don't don't get me started on that one. But yeah, go ahead. Um, but that's that's pretty ubiquitous. I, I'll tell you what it is. Um, if I were, uh, well, I, we're all in sales. Sure. But if I were at a large corporation doing sales today. I would say the biggest challenge is loneliness. Um, and that's their own fault, our own fault. Um, you, one cannot sell alone today. And the, the principle of sales is a team sport. And the problem is that not enough salespeople know how to be leaders of their sales team and how to be collaborators with their sales team, how to elevate all of the critical individuals to get the sale to occur um, inside and outside the company is the job of sales. Exactly. And until sales recognize this, that they are the leader of a tribe of the prospect and the client and the vendors that are supporting and our own folks and back into the value chain, until we understand that and we become that leader, then it's going to be very lonely. Love that answer. Love that answer. So, so how do how do we how do we what's the first step to to curing the loneliness? I mean, it seems like there's so much in sales these days that sort of legislates against that, right? I mean, there's this increased focus on activity metrics and less about the quality of of the connection you develop with a prospect. You can you can get me started about systems support of, of sales, and you can get me started with uh, people who have created methodologies around selling that claim that relationships are the old guard way of selling mm. and things like challenger and others are, are the new way. Um, and, and I'd be happy to spend uh, a half an hour just talking about the, um, the, 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 the PR and marketing spin that that is, as opposed to the truth that that is at the reality, there's an awakening of every one of us, um, trying to be of service to our clients and trying to be of service to the organization that we represent. And that is that we are facilitators of creating value. And 
it starts there. It starts with a mindset that says we actually give a damn about people, their jobs, their careers. We give a damn about creating value for the people that are around us, that were sitting in front of us as, as, as our clients and prospects and are, are supporting us behind. And that if, if, a, if a sales rep understands that their job is to create value for people, then it will be a massive breakthrough. Because then at that stage, it's now only about putting a plan around it. In my book, Never Eat Alone, I talk about the criticality of a relationship action plan. Mm-hmm. And at British Telecom many years ago, our consulting practice created over $2 billion of new pipeline in 92 key strategic accounts around the world by coaching them to have a, a, a stronger, more meticulous relationship action plan at each of their key strategic accounts. Um, that was documented and published, which is why I can give you those numbers and that client name. Um, we've also done that with the the top 100 uh, strategic accounts for one of the largest, most respected consultancies in the world. And, um, and we created the same kind of return. And what one has to awaken to at the beginning is that our job is to create value with people. And then the question is, which people and what kind of value? And then we start getting into engineering. Mm-hmm. Because we only have so much time and we have to make sure that the value is commensurate to what matters to the individual and what matters to the shared growth of that particular company and the market circumstances. Now, all of a sudden you get complex, right, as to figure out what value we're creating. But if I'm trying to sell to if I'm trying to sell IT services to a um, consumer packaged goods company, um, the first thing I need to ask myself is at the director level where I'm having my first conversation, how do I make their career successful? And making their career successful means helping them be the evangelists of a, of a solution that they typically wouldn't buy, but that if they did try to advocate for to their boss, they would look exceptional because frankly, I've been looking at the market needs of that consumer packaged goods company and the erosion of the val- of their value in the retail channel. And my solution is going to make their boss look like a hero because their boss somewhere still maybe a VP of technology may not even be listening to their damn CEO talk about the strategic importance of the challenges that that consumer packaged goods company is facing. Right. But I could make them both more successful. Now, the question is, have I earned the permission to to shift the way they buy. If I earn the permission to shift how they perceive their role, and if I earn the permission to give them enough chutzpah to sell up the food chain in their organization, a fundamentally different set of attributes of, of what we have to offer. And how do you earn that permission? Relationship earns the permission. A relationship earns the permission to be able to tell your story. Relationship is the permission to forgive. When you stub your toe, of course, in these large systems implementations, there will be that need to forgive as well. And sometimes you're even gonna have to go around that director that didn't uh, listen to your message and go to his boss directly. And we know that how difficult that is. And it depends upon the depth of relationship you have with the director. You might need that forgiveness even for that kind of currency. Right. 
I mean, I'll, I was going on too long. I'll pause, but um... <laughs> that was good stuff. Well, I mean, I think that that going back to the the British telecom is is how do you how do you get people to begin to perceive what their role is in building a relationship different, you know, rather than just you know a quid pro quo, but but being of service orientation because this word is tossed around a lot, right? That we have to serve first, but hey, quite frankly, yeah, most yeah. most people aren't doing it. Well, I create a sort of a pyramid of value that um, that a sales rep needs to navigate through. There's a there's a there's a social value you bring to the table, and that's pretty old guard guard sales stuff of being enjoyable to be with, charismatic, all those things that stereotypical sales reps offer. It's right. frankly the least um, it's the least valuable currency you have to bring to the table. Right. The second uh, level is obviously your product is good, but unfortunately your product's more and more commoditized than ever before. Um, the, the value you've got to create with the person sitting in front of you is the value that that person recognized that you care about their success and that you are going to co-create solutions that, and, and execute against those solutions that will make them personally successful. Now, the question is, do you even know how they view success? Are they looking for the promotion? Or are they looking to, you know, bide their time until they are time they're get, getting ready to retire? Are they, what do they appreciate? How do they want to be appreciated? You know, where do they, where are their relationships into the organ, inside of the organization? And, and how could you even manifest and help them navigate better relationships inside the organization if they're not currently managing their career? If they want to get the hell out of that company, how are you and the rest of your clients potentially a ticket for them to have a broader network than they currently have so that they'll find access and meet people that they could find their next job with. Right. Do they consider right. you the conduit to their network? These are the questions that we have to start asking when we start asking value, but it's very much what I would call a combination of personal professional value. Now, if all we focus on is the value prop of the solution we're bringing to the table for the company, unfortunately, it's the reality is that is often secondary or at least tied for first against an individual's own personal value that they're getting out of acquiring this particular product or solution. Now, if everything's equal, the way that they will gain value out of buying your solution is winding you down on price. But if you can add enough value and awaken this person that you're actually a conduit to, to a much bigger degree of value for themselves, in their company, then we all of a sudden open up a whole different dialogue that has less to do with price. Well, I think one of the problems then with salespeople is maybe this, this I don't know, lack of confidence or something that, that like I know when people go out and network and you talk about, about uh, you know, the value is, as they say, they don't think they have anything of value to offer other than their product. Um, uh, you, you said, you know, one of the problems with salespeople one of the problems with all of us is too many of us don't believe we have enough to offer. We don't deserve to be in the room. Um, it's interesting. You know, I do feel there's a direct correlation to those who have overcompensated with backslapping charisma that are sometimes called sales reps. Right. Um, right. And that that level of insecurity actually puts them in a, in a, in a box, in a glass box that they can't break out of because they're, they're using all these song and dances they've learned to use all their life. And, and the thing that they're 
often afraid to use is the sit down quiet question of what does value look like? And the humility to recognize you probably can't bring it all yourself and you need to start bringing partners in from your own organization and others. And really the art of the facilitator is the art of the salesman in the future. The art of the facilitator bringing the right assets to the table, um, recognizing that they have to, of course, be technically you know, proficient and adept at bringing the right parts of the solution. But a humble facilitator is better than somebody who knows all the answers. Now, you've got to incite intrigue in, in the sales process. Sure. Um, but again, you can often do that by bringing in, in partners in the process. I was going to say this idea about you know, being confident in the value that, that you have something of value to offer is, is you know, part of the fascinating part of your own story is, as you describe it in, in your book, Never Eat Alone, is that as a kid, you were, you were reaching out to build relationships with people you know, with no, yeah, you, know, you didn't have a professional background or or anything, and you know, it led to where you where you are today. Is is well, that was I'm mean, so much of that was out of desperation. I, I often joke that I learned early on not to be jealous of my rich uh, friends who went to school with me um, when I was just a poor kid. That they had nepotism. I could create my own nepotism by building the relationship that made uh, individuals care enough about me to give me a leg up to open up doors and opportunities through authentic relationships that I would build. And, and I, and, and many people read never eat alone and they're like, Holy cow, it's one of the most driven, ambitious you know, kids I've ever come across. Um, and what they don't recognize, and some of them do is that there was a lot of fear and anxiety of that young man who mm-hmm. got all of that success early on. And it did spur my, um, spur my success to a great extent. What I've learned over time is the more authentic, that my relationships are, the less panic-stricken and um, frenetic uh, they have to be, or they can be, and they, the more authentic and, and generous and calming and um, and you know even grounded and spiritual for that matter. Some of my dearest dearest friends in the world are the people that I I transact business with today, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess they always have been, but. You know, I think I'm getting more in abundance as I chill out in life. Um, you know, let me let me come back. Sure. For those who haven't read Never Eat Alone, I'll give them a, a thumbnail sketch of the sure. book. And every chapter is a very distinct set of practices that you can use if you want, if you've been told that networking is important to you. But what's more important uh, is the rich storytelling that sort of hooks you in. But the overall message is uh, to... To, to live an abundant life, everything you want to hope and achieve is going to be done through people. And in sales, it's not just clients and prospects, it's vendors who are referral partners. Um, some of my greatest leads in business have come from headhunters who I have just become great relationships with. And then when they placed somebody into a new job, they referred me. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, I've developed a lot of currency with these people in advance as well. So for, you know, and also back in my own organization, you know, building the relationships inside of your company. Back at Deloitte, I had so many people that had my back that enabled my success because of those strong relationships. So relationships are the conduit to your success. Therefore, build them in abundance, build them, but in abundance with meticulous planning, because you can't just go out and, and, and shotgun. Um, there's some room for serendipity, no question. There's some room 
But if you really have a goal in mind, you've got to be planned about the relationships. And therefore, relationship action planning is something we teach. Right. And how do you actually build that strategic alignment of your goals to your relationships? And then how do you then be deeply generous? Probably the biggest lesson that people walk away from after reading Never Eat Alone is how to be generous. Generous of spirit, generous of professionally, generous personally. How do you be generous? And by being generous, you gain people desire to spend time with you. And then you follow that with authenticity and even humility and vulnerability that connects you in an accelerated fashion with somebody. And then with that, um, you solidify the relationship, which then yields, as I bridge into my second book, Who's Got Your Back, which yields a greater degree of people who won't let you fail. People who will be candid, but kicking accountability. Mm-hmm. Individuals who really are working to, to elevate collectively with each other. Well, so people listen to this, they, they hear networking and and... As you explained, there's there's a real difference between networking and connecting. I mean, oftentimes, especially in sales, we see this all the time. You know, people talk about brag about the size, but they used to brag about the size of the Rolodex, but now, yeah, the number of contacts they have. And but it doesn't mention anything about the number of relationships they have. Well, we we came up a long time ago with a, a metric of a relational quality and a business impact score, which in our in our coaching of sales forces we can put a systematized metric around the strength of the relationship and the importance of it. So that if, you know, in, if I said to you on a scale of negative one to three, what's the strength of the most important with a weighted average of the most important business relationships to your growth as a company, um, what would they be today if you pushed your sales reps to identify the 10 most important people that would grow the company? What's the strength of our relationships? And most companies are just above a one. From a, from a negative one to a three, the aggregated score is just above a one. Now, if you shifted that a half a point, it would make a big difference. Sure. And that is often, you know, that is often the basis of a lot of our work in coaching sales organizations. Yeah, I thought the interesting part with, well, among the many interesting parts is, is you talked about the vulnerability before. And and that as much about building a relationship is being able to ask for help as well as right. serving. Right. So, so tell us what you mean by that. Well... Um, it's one of the chapters in the book where we say, you know, at some point when there's a strong enough relationship as you would have with a dear friend, et cetera, that being vulnerable enough to ask somebody for help actually solidifies the relationship. We're not talking about going up to a stranger and asking for 20 bucks on the street. That's probably not a great relationship opener. (laughs) Um, but once the relationship is built too many people, um, you know, put up walls around themselves, even though the relationship uh, is already there. So how do you begin to use and leverage authentic humility to to open that relationship um, even deeper? So that's what, um, you know, they think that's what that chapter is is referring to in the book. Well, I think salespeople suddenly think about that saying, well, yeah, Andy and Keith, I mean, how do, how do I ask a prospect for help? Well, it depends on the strength. Of, well, first of all, um, if you can accelerate the relationship quickly, I have gotten to the stage where I've literally just asked the question, like, you know, I really, if you can get that person to believe that you really want to help them, you ask them, what's the fastest path to help you? I was on a sales call earlier today where I literally asked the question. I said, look, I mean, you're, I, I get that your instinct tells you I could make a difference here. How do I make the fastest difference? Help me see the path to making the fastest difference here. 
But I had clearly connected with that individual. I'd done my homework. I'd done my, my, you know, I'd spoken to people that knew this individual. I spoke to their admin. I had a sense of what this person wanted to achieve. I opened vulnerably talking about some strap, you know, some struggles and challenges that uh, I had experienced on a more personal basis that just happened this weekend as we were sort of doing small talk. I don't do small talk. I only do deep talk. Um, so that gave me ultimately the permission to, you know, ask for help even in the sale. So when you say you don't, you don't do small talk, you only do deep talk. I think I know what you mean, but give us an example. Well, you know, I'll start a call and, and I will always find a way to think about something I've done recently that opens up my life to somebody. Um, you know, I, I had an amazing weekend with my, my foster son and, you know, I might, you know, on a phone call or in a meeting, just, uh, say, wow, you know, I just had an amazing, um, weekend with my foster son. <laughs> it hasn't always been easy. This is actually his first year. He acknowledged father's day, um, which made it all that much richer. Uh, do you have kids? Right. So mm -hmm. it's like, that's the way I would have the dialogue, but I'm authentically being open and, and creating empathy. Empathy is the bridge to a relationship, right? which is the foundation of any um, co-creation that you need. Empathy is crucial and you can lead it or you can hope that it happens over a period of time. Well, I think that's so ironic because I agree with you hundred percent. It's, it's, is there's, you know, increasings are swaths of the sales ecosystem, if you will, writers, so on, saying, yeah, prospects just don't have time for small talk. And it's like, it's, just, it's destructive, right? You're not compelling it. Look, right? if you're on the phone dialing, listen, if somebody calls me up, um, you know, on, on telesales, yeah, I'm not, that's not going to be my first opening. Um, although, I have to say there's the old... Um, uh, you know, chihuahua in the background, you know, if you hear something like that, you should jump on that right away on the phone call because, oh, it's like, you know, I hear your dog barking in the background. You know, I've got a such and such. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not an expert in telesales. Um, but my friend Tony Shea is from Zappos. Right. And he's all about leading with the authenticity. They celebrate the ability to keep a caller on the line for the longest period of time. Because that shows that they're developing the relationship. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, we, I mean, I said so many parts of the sales sector are so focused on the metrics and the, you know, how many calls do we make? And, and they don't give the reps the room to be authentic, right? To, to establish those types of connections that they need to build the relationships. Exactly. So exactly. <laughs> I love the, what you talk about in the book about how, how um, your networks are replaced the loyalty and security once once offered by companies. Explain what you mean by that. Um, trying to remember the reference. Well, it's just uh, about you know the connecting through the develop the networks we develop. You know that that that's what we can rely on, right? We, there's no. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, I'm not even maybe I'm just blind enough to the to the point, which is um, curious to others, but obvious to me. But there is no value. There is no, I mean, McKinsey does not have a relationship with Procter & Gamble. Deloitte does not have a relationship with uh, Hewlett Packard. Um, 
somebody at each of those companies have relationships with each other. And that makes up the fabric of whether there is loyalty. I have, you know, I hear this all the time. It's like, what, you know, what is the relationship that we have with XYZ company? And then all of a sudden I start hearing about what share do we have? What growth rate do we have? And I'm like, no, it's not my question. You know, what is the advocacy that we have inside of the company? Who is that advocate? Um, how are they navigating the opportunity management for us? Um, you know, on a, what is the RQ, the relational quality score? Are they advocates or where are they? And those are the conversations I like to have, um, you know, with folks. Tell me what you think. Is it, what do you think your listeners are thinking right now? What do they need more of from, you know, last five minutes or so of our, of our discussion? Well, I think that, that people struggle with this whole thing of just connecting with another person. Yeah, it's not – people want to put it up to a generational thing. I don't think it's a generational thing. I think it's this, you know, it's this moment when they actually have to connect to a person. They want to default to, to talking about a product or they want to default to you know, something that's about them as opposed to the other person. I'm just looking at my calendar right here. Um, it's, it's, it's open on the, on, the, on, the, on the computer that I'm on. And um, I see a call I've got this afternoon, and this is a woman that is one of the top leaders of a major company that I'd like to do business with. And it is a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a 15 minute touch base. Now there's a lot of pressure on a 15 minute touch base to pitch something. Um, but I would really, she's gone through a lot. She's had a lot of success. I want to make sure that I am celebrating what she's done. I want to make sure that I am uh, checking in on what I know about her from past conversations. And I would like to make sure that she knows I really give a damn, and I do, about where she stands in her career um, and where she's going. Now, that's important. Um, I will, as a result of that, my suspicion is she's going to ask me what's going on with the company. And that will give me the opening to have the dialogue. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't want to be the person um, that uses that 15 minutes only to try to, uh, to transact. So this is one of the people in your network. And yep. so you talk in the book, you've got 10,000 plus people in your network, which, you know, sobering to somebody like me that's maybe us that was and that was 10 years ago <laughs> that was 10 years ago right so how many of those can you have that type of conversation with everybody because the the technology allows ubiquitous access to information about these people i can look up facebook i can look up all of these things i can i could get a very rich sense of who this person is before i jump on the phone well let me rephrase the question how many how many of those 10,000 have you had conversations with Everybody that I have spoken to among that 10,000, some of those 10,000 names, um, you know, I, I might have had only one conversation with. Sure. But, and imagine that they would remember it as being relatively authentic, although I have to say I haven't been, you know, I don't, I'm not perfect. I don't, I don't live in that level of grounded authenticity all, my, all the time. <laughs> Sometimes I need to close a quarter. Sure. Right? Sometimes I'm over my skis and I've started a tech company and my primary consulting business is falling behind in its pipeline and I need to get some stuff sold. And unfortunately, some of those times I get scared 
and I don't act my authentic self, but I, I, it, it always comes back to remind me what I need to do because um, when I do do it, the, the universe rewards that behavior with, uh, with a faster path to revenue. Yeah, and, and the question was around this angle of is, you know, again, see so many people build large social networks with people they've never met, talked to, just connect. Yeah. And I think they get fooled by, by thinking that, yeah, I can reach out to any of those people because we're quote unquote connected. And I just. And I'll maybe use this as a final point. Sure. If you build your brand, then, you know, anybody that's read Never Read Alone, I probably got some permission to have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you need to spend time building your brand. You need to write. You need to be out there in the marketplace. Um, if you want to be a thought leader, well, if you want to be a great sales rep, you got to be a thought leader. I agree. And so you need to invest in building that brand so that, so that you gain some currency beyond the, you know, the connection. Um, but you're right. I mean, just because someone's linked to me at LinkedIn doesn't mean that, uh, that I have any permission. You got to build that. You got to earn that. You got to be generous. You got to be planned. You got to be proficient. You got to be targeted. You got to be accountable. And ultimately, um, you know, I, my high recommendation is you make it a, a joyful journey that if too many sales reps aren't having fun, they're out there schlepping through. And yeah. if you really embrace this methodology, you'll embrace, embrace a heartfelt interdependency with the people you work with and the people that you sell to such that it, they are real relationships, not just people you're using. And I had spent too much time in my life, even though I was good at it and might not have always been recognizable. I've spent too much time in my life building relationships for the sake of um, transaction, right. scarcity. And uh, I'll leave that as my final comment. I think you can find more joy in your life and more abundance through leading with relationships. Excellent. Good. Well, people, make sure you, those listening, make sure you do go out and read Keith's book, or both books, but start with Never Eat Alone. Um, Keith, tell people they can find out more about you and connect with you. Yeah, pretty easy. KeithFarazzi.com. Um, you try it a couple of times, Google will help you help you find me. All right. Yeah, that's two R's and two Z's. Yep, it is. F-E-R-A-Z-Z-I. Andy, thank you so much. I appreciate the connection and for your great audience. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. So grateful for your support of this program. I want to thank my guest, Keith Ferrazzi, for sharing his wisdom with us today. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review, let us know how we're doing. Well, we'd appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.